has given us. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. We're going to do our decoration to begin the night, if they'll put it up on the deal. If you're ready, say this with me. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remit, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We'll not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we'll give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We live under your anointing, and we see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Praise him one more time for your seated. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm humbled and counted a privilege to once again to be able to be in this pulpit tonight. Our pastor, who serves as a, a district overseer, is at another church tonight. He's having to take care of some church business with them. So... We want to be praying for them that all goes well, and uh, we're going to get into the Word tonight, and uh, I want to begin by making a statement and proclaiming to you tonight that the Lord still reigns. I said the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the people be glad because our God reigns forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. The Lord reigns in spite of all the chaos in our country. The Lord reigns in spite of all the rioting. The Lord reigns in spite of all the violent protesting. The Lord reigns in spite of the crippled economy. The world reigns in spite of the worldwide pandemic. The Lord reigns in spite of the far left rhetoric. If you believe that the Lord still reigns, that he's still on the throne in heaven, would you just one more time stand to your feet and give him a shout of praise loud enough to reach the heavens, letting him know that even if you don't feel it, you know he's working. Even if you don't see it, you know he's working. Let him know you believe that he never stops working on your behalf, for he is a God who never sleeps, nor does he never slumber. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. We are in the house of the Lord. We are in the presence of the Lord. And it is a privilege that we've been given by the Lord our Savior. I want to get right into my message tonight. I don't really plan on really being that long with you, but I believe it will be a message of encouragement to the body of Christ. Church, we've got a lot of work to do, and we've got to get the church fired back up. You see, I first had to establish I was speaking to a congregation that still believes God is in control. And based upon your response, I believe that I'm there. See, in the midst of all this disturbance to our nation we're experiencing, which I believe is orchestrated by the spirits of the Antichrist, working through sectors of people who have been deceived by them, although the Antichrist himself has not been revealed, opening yet for he has an appointed time, his spirits are here proceeding his arrival, causing an anti-God movement to proceed under his rule. 
And while it is evidence, no longer can its agenda be hidden because it's escalated to a point of manifestations. The plotting that was once done in secret chambers is now the plan that is being unleashed and being exposed publicly. There are no longer secrets about their plans as they once were because the enemy feels it now has the opportune time and power to prevail the assault that has been launched. And while all of this is going on, it raises two disconcerting questions for the believers, for those who believe that God is still on the throne. And that is, number one, what is God doing while this is happening? And two, when and what is he going to do about this? Well, I want to read a passage of Scripture that asks both of these questions and provides answers to them. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says, Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? In the NIV, it says it like this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Then it goes on to say in verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure, saying, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the othermost parts of the earth for thine possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Amen. Psalms 2 is closely connected to Psalms 1. You could say that Psalms 1 and Psalms 2 stand together as a double doorway into the book of Psalms. They both make it clear right up front that the Psalms are more than just ancient Hebrew poetry. This book is more than just a hymnal book of the Jews. It's, too, a part of the inspired Word of God. Psalms 1 contrasts the way of the righteousness and the way of the wicked and bids us to choose the way we will live. Psalms 2 warns us there's a consequence to the choices that you make. Psalms 1 declares the Lord's authority over individuals. Psalms 2 declares the Lord's authority over the nations. And both of these truths are essential for having confidence in God. You see, it's hard to trust that the, the Lord God is in control of the affairs of your little life if you don't believe he's in control of the unfolding of all of creation. See, it's much easier to believe he's got your little life in his hands if you believe that he's got the whole world in his hands. This is the message of Psalms 2. It is an assurance that no one nor nothing can stand against God's plan for God's chosen king and God's chosen people. And it remains an assurance still today for God's people. David is believed to be the author of Psalms 2. For it is in Acts 4, 24 through 26 that validates this belief. Paul says this of David in Acts chapter 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed. There it is, just as we read in Psalms 2, stating that David said this. So let's break this passage down and let's draw some insight from it that will give us relevant instruction for the hour in which we now live. Let's find the answer to where is God and what is he doing while the heathen rage in our nation. Let me make my opening statement just one more time before I again. The Lord reigns. I know it may not seem like it after watching the nightly news for the day, but tonight I came to bring you news from another network in glory. I came to bring you the truth, not so fake news. I've come to report you that God is still in control. Hallelujah. See, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, Psalms 2 declares to us the unimpeachable authority of Jesus Christ who reigns over heavens and earth forever and ever. I'm telling you, just hold on. Our God will show up, and he'll take us through this fire again. Amen? Come on, somebody. See, in verses 1 through 3, David begins by asking, Why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? Or why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? It's obvious there's rebellion going on this time against God. The rebellion is happening by the heathen. The word heathen means the ungodly. It appears David's asking a question for an answer, as though he didn't know the answer. Why do they plot and why do they conspire against the Lord and his anointed, against God and Jesus, the anointed one? But David's not really asking a question the way as many may think. He does know the answer to why they plot and conspire. David didn't ask this from the perspective of wondering why his enemy plotted and conspired against his nation. He knew their motives. No, it's more so from the perspective of why do they even try to come against a nation that serves God because they will never win. Their efforts are in vain. They can rage all they want to. They can believe they got it all figured out. They can land some pretty good blows. They can cause some damage. Appear at times they be even winning, but they will never defeat our God nor ever destroy his plans. So he goes on to mention their plots in verse 2. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. He's saying the rulers of the nation band together to attack God and Jesus, the anointed one, and his kingdom. How relevant is that plan still today? Church, kings, and leaders of nations are still plotting today against God. Remember, this warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and against spiritual wickedness in high places. It was Satan's plan then, and it's still his plan today. Satan has been relentless in his attempt to overthrow the kingdom of God. By attacking God's people, he believes when he destroys God's people, he is destroying God's plan for his kingdom. That in doing so, somehow, he will supersede the authority of God and become the supreme power of this world domain. But I got news from him. He will never, 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 ever overthrow the kingdom of God and his supreme rule over all the heavens and the earth. Amen? He will never overthrow Jesus Christ, the anointed one, whom declared that all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, I got what my father's got. I am the anointed one. I am the son of God. See, when Saul was persecuting the Christians before his conversion, while riding on a horse on his way to once again to carry out a plot to destroy God's people, God struck him off his horse. And he appeared to Saul in a great light. He spoke to him, warning him. He said, Saul, Saul, why doest thou persecute my people? He told him, when you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. And still today, when Satan persecutes God's people, God takes it as he's persecuting him. 
When Satan comes against God's people, it's God's desire to show up, show himself strong on our behalf. He is a defender of the righteous. Hallelujah. David goes on to say in verse 3. Now, now listen to this. How dumbfounded is this statement? And believe what they say. They say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I thought, chains and shackles on Christians? Really? But do you know that the ungodly believe that we as Christians are the ones in bondage, in slavery? How ironic is that? Because church, our God's not the bondage bringer. Our God is the bondage breaker. Come on, somebody. We're not bound by chains. We are bound by grace and mercy to the chain breaker who has set us free from the bondage of sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ who broke the curse of death, held the grave off of us. Come on, somebody. Paul said that he was a bond servant, not a bound servant. 1 Corinthians 7, 22, for he was called... He, he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. But the heathen and the, are blinded to the truth by the ruler of darkness, who has deceived the rulers of this wicked nation to believe that they have a power that he cannot give them. What we're going through right now as a nation is all a plot of spiritual wickedness in high places, struggling for power through greed and lust that will leave them empty and destroyed through self-destruction. So what is God doing while the heathen rage, the king's plot, and leaders take counsel against him and the anointed one, Jesus? David says in verse 4 that while they do all of this, the one enthroned in heaven laughs at them. God looks at the way man plots against him and laughs at his vain plans. God isn't afraid or confused or depressed about the opposition of man. God laughs at it. He knows who's behind their plans. God laughs because he sits in the heavens. He sits as a great a king on a glorious throne. He isn't pacing back and forth in the throne room of heaven, wringing his hands, wondering what he should do next. While the nations rage, God is where he has always been, sitting on his throne in perfect peace. And what's he doing? Laughing. The problem mankind has in his rebellion against God is they don't know who he really is. They don't realize just how powerful he is. And many heathens don't even believe he exists. But God is the one who stepped out before history's dawning and broke the silence of a not-yet universe with his own voice and said, let there be light. See, God laughs because he sits in the heavens. It isn't an earthly throne he occupies. It is the throne of heaven with authority over all of creation. So what does heaven have to fear from this earth? There's a severity to God's laugh. When he's responding to rebellion of mankind, he's not signaling, signaling that it's funny. He's signaling it's ridiculous for man to think he can overthrow his plan for the kingdom. And do we understand that overthrowing America is a part of a greater plan of Satan's to overthrow the kingdom of God? Do we understand that our enemy opposes anyone who serves God, any nation built up on godly principles, so he conspires with ungodly nations and heathen nations to come against God's people. Think about it. Every enemy of the United States is an ungodly nation. Every heathen in this nation who rages against God's people is an ungodly person. We've got to come to realize if they destroy a Christian nation or a Christian in this nation, it is actually a part of a bigger plot and plan to destroy the kingdom of God. They want to destroy anything that represents his kingdom. Hallelujah. 
So while the nations of the world conspire against us, folks, you better believe they are banding together. So while the ungodly nations of the world conspire against us to break God's people and attempt to destroy our godly nation, while the leftists of our nation plot to internally break the bonds of Christians, while the heathens rage with their violent protests and their riots, while Antifa and other domestic terrorists and corrupt politicians war against what Christianity stands for, David says, rest sure, God is in heaven laughing at their plans and he scoffs at them. David wrote this psalm and God inspired to be published in his word as instruction and encouragement for those nations in the future who would face oppositions of ungodly nations, including us. His message is based upon his experiences with leaders and the kings of nations that he had fought against. He left us a record in Psalms 2 that he knew what, that what he had experienced the other godly nations would too in the future. He knew any nation that God favored would be conspired against by Satan. Many times during his rule, nations surrounding his kingdom would plot and conspire together to overthrow him. To overthrow Israel, a nation favored by God. They despise Israel because of the God that they serve and the prosperity that they possess. Their plot would always involve overthrowing Israel, stealing its wealth, and turning its people to their false gods. They were vicious and they were ruthless, and oftentimes it appeared they would be successful. Many times David was even outnumbered by his enemies, but yet they were never successful as long as God favored their kingdom, as long as God was their king of kings, as long as God was on their side. Even though David was their earthly king, God was the king of all nations, and David often acknowledged that. And thank God we currently have a president of the United States who still acknowledges we are one nation under God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And as long as we never turn our backs on God, he will never turn his backs on us. David experienced how difficult it was to rule a nation for God and have nation after nation to do evil to oppose him from without and from within. But he also knew what it was like for God to be on his side and bring him victory and prosperity over every nation that ever opposed him. He learned that if he would just remain obedient to God while the heathens raged, and the nations plotted against his nation. I want to say that again. He learned that if he would just be obedient to God while the heathens raged and the nations plotted against him, if we can learn this principle, we too will experience the victories in our nation as David did in his. David believed that with God on his side that God could defeat any enemy he faced. And they would prevail because God would show up on their behalf and destroy his enemies and the kings and the rulers of the opposing nations while he held them in derision. In other words, he ridiculed his enemy. He made a mockery of them. He would bring their evil ways down. He would cancel their plans and their plots and their demonic assignments. Church, I have come to prophesy to you, America, hold on. God is still on the throne. And although the heathens are raging and the nations are plotting, God's about to put his foot down upon this ground. And when he does, everything the heathens have done will be in vain. And there will be once again liberty and justice for all. Come on, somebody. Give God praise for what he's about to do. It's about to happen. So when, he's go when is he going to move? According to his plan, David goes on to explain the plan of God against our enemies. He says in verse 5, Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Church, God laughs in heaven. 
but he doesn't remain inactive. He laughs, but he doesn't only laugh. Before he acts against defiant man, he first speaks to them. This shows the great mercy of God. He has every reason and every right to simply act against the defiant man. But love and mercy compel a loving, long-suffering God to speak a word of warning before he acts. He's going to warn them first. And that he has been doing. Let me tell you what's been happening, even right now as I speak, in case you haven't been paying much attention. True men and women of God are standing in pulpits all across America, and they're warning the defiant to turn from their wicked ways or else the God of justice will bring judgment upon their hearts. David said, God has declared a warning to his opposition in verse 6. God said, I have set my king up on my holy hill in Zion. God wants the defiant man, his opposition, to know that he has already established a king. I've already set my son as a king over every nation, and he will never be overthrown. He is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He especially wants them to know there is a king greater than they are, that there is an anointed one, and his name is Jesus, and he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And because he is king, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Then in verse 7, Jesus, the anointed one, speaks and says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. And God was saying to him, You are my son, and I am your father, pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. All hell the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadems and crown him the Lord of all. Hallelujah. See, in verse 8, God says to his son, ask me. And I'll give you the heathen, the nations, for thine inheritance and the othermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Verse 8 is significant because it relates to the question in verse 1. The nations that David mentions that rage against the Lord are the Lord's gift and inheritance to his son Jesus Christ. And the othermost parts of the earth are your possession, he told him. Which signifies God has established not only he's the king of a few nations, but he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords of all nations of the world because I have given them to him. Not only is he to rule and reign the nations, but he's also to judge the nations. He says so in verse 9. He tells him, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. This is what the Lord is going to do to the raging heathens and the plotting nations who are coming against God and his people. This scripture certifies that. The Lord's anointing has such power over the nations that they are like clay pots, and he can shatter them with one blow with a rod of iron. This shows why it's so foolish for the nations to defy the Lord and his anointed. There's no reason and there's no benefit to the defiant opposition. It's all in vain. God the Father has declared that Jesus, the anointed one, will be the king that will bring judgment upon the defiant ones. Then after these words of warning coming from the Lord's anointed one, David counsels the kings of the earth to give up their foolish defiance of the Lord. He proceeds to say in verse 10, Therefore, you kings, 
Be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. David calls the kings of the earth to surrender to God, to give him proper reverence, telling them in verse 12, kiss the son, or he will be angry and your ways will lead to destruction when his wrath is kindled but in a little. In other words, when his wrath can flare up in a moment, kiss his son. Kiss here means submit. Submit to his son. David's warned the kings of the earth to submit to the Lord because that at any given moment, moment, God can unleash his wrath upon the earth. At any given moment, he can say, enough is enough. And church, I'm going to keep repeating. At any given moment, Christ can return and rapture the church. And when this church is gone, tribulation upon this earth will begin. And that dreadful day for the earth will happen. And at that moment, God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. Read your Bibles. His plan is all recorded in the book of Revelations. And Satan, the masternine, behind all of this plotting against the kingdom of God, will once and for all be defeated. So kiss the son. Submit to him. If you don't, at any minute, his wrath can be unleashed upon you. I want to declare to all the kings of this world tonight, to all the ungodly leaders of the nations of this world, to all the ungodly nations of this world tonight who are plotting against God, to all the heathens who are raging against God, violently protesting and killing innocent people, and to every corrupt politician persecuting God's people and trying to silence the church, you better kiss the sun. You better submit to God before it's too late. You've now been warned in any moment God's going to allow the anointed one to bring judgment on those who oppose God. And God is fixing to cancel the enemy's assignment. And the church is fixing to arise and shine, and our enemies are going to be scattered. David concludes with this, for those who remain obedient to God through all of this chaos, blessed are they that put their trust in him, those who take refuge in him. See, David was making this case in Psalms 2. David said, why do they keep doing this, plotting and conspiring? Why do they keep trying to do these things that will never win with God on our side? They get together, even seek counsel together. They plot and they plan, but time after time they fail to win. While God sits in the heavens and laughs at their plans, and he sits in the heavens with all kingdom authority. Folks, our God is a great God who is above all gods. And we must understand we still experience the same enemy David and Old experienced then, today. Our enemy causes the heathens to rage and plot to destroy us. While we worry and we fret and we live in fear of the plans, instead of having faith in God's plans. Folks, this assault against our nation and our religious freedoms is all a plot that's been conspired by Satan. To destroy a nation that was built upon godly principles and as a result has prospered. And we've been highly favored by God. Our enemy is using the heathens of our nation to carry out his plans. But what we are losing sight of is God has a plan for us. According to Jeremiah 29, his thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace, not of evil, with an expected end. He gave us his plan in writing. He gave us his written promises. He figured all this out before all this ever became. This plan was to be passed down from generation to generation. There has never, nor will there ever, be a generation of kings that will destroy the kingdom of God. We may suffer violence, 
but never ultimate defeat. We may be cast down, but we will not be destroyed. We may be persecuted, but will not be abandoned. David declared the anointed one, the son of God, is coming in the last days. In the midst of the tribulation, it will be a dreadful day for our enemies when he pours out his wrath. For when he's done, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's the Lord of lords and the kings of kings. Church, death to a Christian is one of victory. Because whether we go by the grave or by the rapture, we win. Only those who never kiss the anointed one will suffer for eternity. We got to realize what's going on in our world now. It's much bigger than a socialism thrust or a political battle. It's a battle between good and evil. And it's gradually coming to the surface to what it all boils down to. The attack on our Christian beliefs and religious freedoms are actually an attack on God. Therefore, anything or anyone that has a resemblance of Christ and his kingdom will be plotted against by our kings and leaders that will cause the heathen to rage against God. It's an antichrist spirit pushing an anti-God movement. Right now, it's about abolishing laws that support godly morals and principles, abolishing laws that support religious freedoms. It's becoming about statues and symbols that represent God. They're plotting to remove them. It's becoming about open practices of worship, plotting efforts to close churches that publicly display worship. It's about snuffing out public prayer that prays to Jehovah, yet tolerant of prayers to Muhammad and Buddha. But it's going to come down to a time it will openly, flat out, be directly expressed to the silencing of the Christian. It's going to come to a time when we will be personally attacked in an effort to attack God by attacking his people. Look at China. In China, not because they're a thief, not because they're extortionist, not because they've committed any crime, but they're personally attacked simply for the fact they confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In China, they have never had any laws, any religious freedoms to protect them. So our heathen know that in America, they must first remove our protection, our laws that protect our religious freedoms. And then after that, church, it's going to get real personal. But although we are under attack as Christians and are becoming hated by the heathen, we got to realize it's really God our Father and Jesus the Anointing One being attacked. And that Satan is waging war against everything and anyone who represents God or imitates Christ. That's, this is why, remember Christ said, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. We are being attacked because we have chosen to be on God's side, to be a child of God. Therefore, Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy anything or anyone that belongs to the kingdom of God. He hates us and for what we stand for and for who we stand for. Therefore, evil opposes anything good. But thank God, as a Christian, we are on the winning side. Hallelujah. The outcome of this battle has done been decided. We as Christians just have to decide that in the midst of it all, come hell or high water, I am in the Lord's army. Hallelujah. Although many Christians have been defeated in earthly battles, we still win this war. As Christians, whether we leave this world by the grave or the rapture, we'll stand before a righteous judge 
the commander of God's army, the anointed one who because of our faith through it all will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. Come on, somebody. We need to show some faith tonight. And stand. how about you stand to your feet and plot God's plan and thank him that you are a part of his plan. Hallelujah. You were saved for such a time as this. It's not a time to cower down. It's not a time to back down. It's a time to stand up and stand firm in your faith. It's not a time to waver. At any moment, God's going to say enough is enough, and he's going to set in motion his plan, his plan to ridicule and make a mockery of our enemies. Hallelujah. Musicians, if you'll come, the heathens are raging, and the kings and the leaders of our nation are plotting to attack God and Jesus, the anointed one and his people. There's a great rebellion going on in our nation against God. But while the heathen rage, while they rebel against God, rebellion, remember, is a form of witchcraft, witchcraft, which is making it evident that this is a spiritual battle. Yet God is still on the throne, and he's laughing at their plans. And mark it down. You're fixed to see God begin to cause their plans to backfire. He's going to put the heathens in derision, and you watch. He's going to begin to make a mockery of them, and he's going to publicly begin to ridicule them and their plans. Hallelujah. At any given moment, he can release his wrath upon their plotting and make all their plans in vain. Why? Because we serve a God who cannot be defeated. We've just got to remain obedient to Christ And Christ will show himself strong on our behalf. Church, as Christians, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Church, be of good cheer. Live and love Christ as he has commanded us. This message is to be a message of encouragement. To encourage the church. We've got to get back on fire. We've got a work to do. Just because all of this is going on around us does not mean we have to come inactive. We can still do the one thing, the most important thing he's called us to do. Witness. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell the ungodly that there is a God. That there is a God who loves them. Let them know they're on the wrong side. Let them know there's another side to this thing. See, For over the last few months, we've had to preach a lot of encouragement to the church because the church has got to realize, church, we're not defeated. We haven't lost anything. We have Jesus Christ on our side. He is the hope of the world. And there's a world out there that we have a responsibility to tell that Jesus Christ can be their hope. There's a lot of hopelessness in our country right now. But in the body of Christ, there ought to be a victory spirit. This is the greatest opportunity for the church to witness, to win the lost. It's time for you, whatever it takes, to get them to the house of the Lord so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like it was preached this morning, we've got a part to do. We've got a work to do. The Lord's coming back. And it's not going to be long, church. But what we've got to do through all this, we've just got to remain obedient to Christ. David said he learned it. That that was a principle that we too need to know and learn. That through all of this, no matter what's going on, we got to realize we're going to win this thing. We're not defeated. 
We're not destroyed. We're going to take some blows. There's going to be some things come against us. But if we'll stand with God on our side, God will defeat our enemy. Praise the name of the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I come to you right now in the name, precious name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the word that was written ages ago that contain your promises, God. Words that are still relevant and vibrant and truthful today. Words that are now spoken in this generation that helped another generation get through their times of troubles and despair. From generation to generation, from generation to this generation, God. You've always defended your people. You've never forsaken us. You've never left us. And we believe, and we proclaim tonight, God, that we believe you're still on the throne. And we believe that you have a plan. And we believe, God, that you're, we're a part of your plan. And, Father, that we have a work to do. Empower us, God. Father, once again, let the church arise, God. Empower us by your spirit, God. Under the unction of the power of the Holy Ghost, God. Let us have that power to witness, God. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ like never before, God. It's harvest time, God. We're aware of the hour. And though the heathens rage and the nations plot and the leaders plot, we don't have to fear that, God. Because, God, we know who's in control. And, God, we serve a God who's alive. We serve a living God. We serve a God who will watch over us and protect us. And, Father, tonight, God, we want to thank you, God, for the hand of protection that you've put over us. We want to thank you for the plan that you have for us, God. Now send us, God. Send us into this world, Father, as witnesses of your love, of your glory. Father, we praise you in all things. And God, we're praying that the palace of praise will be that refuge, will be that place, God, that you approve of, God, to send the hurt and the lost and the wounded so that we can be active in this time doing your will, Father, and serving you, God, as a bondservant. And God, we praise you for everything. And we thank you, God, for what you've done and where you're taking us. And we give you glory and praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen by giving you a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you. You're dismissed.